When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball and the SB Nation platform. Um, we're back after a little break. There's uh, not a ton going on uh, baseball-wise still. Um, supposedly, there's going to be a little uh, chatter between the, the league and the players' union this week. Um, supposedly, Monday, they're going to meet and uh, exchange angry terms once again <laughs> and then retreat to their separate corners, I assume. But uh, um, there's not, you know, there hasn't really been any movement. I, you know, I guess the thing, um, that, that we just kind of keep reminding people is that there wasn't, wasn't much expectation that any of this was going to get done until spring training and the, you know, the possible loss of games for something to happen. And so for all the lack of conversation going on and, and, you know, lack of movement, um, none of this is particularly unexpected. Um, I suppose it's natural that, you know, writers out there, especially national baseball writers have to keep writing something, um, because something has to be written. Uh, but, uh, but there really isn't that much to report. And I, it kind of feels a little bit like th- there's a story being made out of nothing. Um, you know, people are frustrated that there hasn't been any movement, but when these things finally happen, they usually just snap into place. Um, it's not usually like a long run up where like, Oh, they conceded on this and there's concessions here. And, you know, it's, it's a lot of like, no, your proposal sucks. No, your proposal sucks. And then eventually um, there will be some pressure and, you know, they'll, they'll either work it out or we'll miss some games and they'll work it out early, early in the, uh, what should have been the season, um, one of the two. So we'll see. Um, but for now, yeah, there isn't a whole lot to report there. Um, instead, tonight, what we're going to do is talk prospects and talk the BYB top 30 rankings um, and get into um, some individual prospects to break down and probably talk a good bit about the, um, the Tigers overhaul of their player development system. So to do that, uh, I've got a really good guest for y'all tonight. We've got Trevor Huth who writes for us as well as prospects live. Um, I don't think Trevor and I have been on podcast together before, but I don't think you've ever been on the podcast with me. <laughs> so welcome aboard Trevor. How's it going tonight? Uh, I think uh, it's great. I think I made it on over a year ago, just before the Tigers drafted Spencer Torkelson. So um I think it's it's been a while if I've been on here, but yeah, I thank you for having me. Um, and I just want to say I don't know if it's much of a coincidence that the Tigers finally have a really fun season of baseball, and then all of a sudden it's in hot water if we're going to continue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, classic timing here. Yeah, I know. You know, when um, the Tigers tore down, it was like the absolute worst time to be, you know, selling talent for prospects because that was the point where everyone started really highly valuing all their top prospects and not wanting to let them go. Um, that was the point when teams were trying not to spend that much or get themselves tied into longer term deals more and more. And so, you know, the Tigers probably got boned as far as, you know, if they had sold in 2016, um, or, or just kind of gone with it in 2015, when everything went to heck, they probably would have been in better position. And so now, you know, here we are about ready to get things going and looking like a team on the upswing and, uh, yeah, we might, uh, we might lose games and, uh, and no one knows what's going to happen. So, 
Yeah, but you know what? This past trade deadline, the Tigers jumped in with one trade. You know, it was really good. Their teams were selling prospects this last trade di- deadline. It was it was fun to watch. Yeah, yeah, and not necessarily getting that much for them. I mean, there was a there was you know there was kind of a weird like mix of deals that went on there where it wasn't like the, the huge deal happened necessarily. It was uh, it was just all kinds of smaller ones. No, yeah, capped off by uh, the Mets trading their first round draft pick for two months of Javier Baez, who's now going to be wearing a Tigers uniform. So, you know, wild yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah. I guess one thing that's been constant though is the Mets doing doing Mets things. <laughs> so, yeah, um, good for Seattle. You know, they're out there with Jared Kalanick, and now they've got uh, Rodriguez to, to pair with them. Um, and the Mets, I think, still have Robbie Cano on their roster, don't they? <laughs> I technically sure, yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever he see got, him he again. Got popped for, I don't. He got popped for what PED, so we haven't seen him in a year. Yeah, yeah. Be, He'll be 76, I think, when he returns, 76 years old. Yep, yep. Oldest player, in, oldest player in MLB. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. Um, the, the, the way the things go in, in Mets land is, just never ceases to amaze me. And, uh, you know, I, can't, I talked to Dan Simborski, who does the Zips projection system for, um, for fan graphs, maybe like maybe prior to last season we had him on, and uh, he, was, he was just adamant that the Rockies, you know, the Rockies – system made everybody else's look like you know a bunch of geniuses and i was sort of arguing with him about that and frankly everything i've seen since has confirmed that yes i, I don't know what's going on with the rockies either didn't they uh, they just appointed the owner's son as their director of pro scouting i believe <laughs> i was like oh man yeah so it could be worse sure, yeah it could certainly I mean, hey, be worse they they've you know what they've had some really good drafts and i think they're going to win several triple a championships and when these guys turn 25 they might get a chance at the majors yeah <laughs> yep. And if they could just ever find pitching, you know, they just, they don't care about pitching over there. And I, I respect it. You know, they're all about, all about hitting taters and defense. <laughs> well, I think, I think, okay. <laughs> they get a lot of crap. I think they have to build out the hitting first and then be like, okay, we're going to get a bunch of pitchers to come up because that is our window. And when these pitchers can leave, they're gone. So our window is yep. going to have to have good hitting and then bring on the pitching. Yeah. 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 They're uh, it's, it's not an easy place to develop pitchers uh, seemingly, or, or even to figure out which pitchers to get. Um, it's, it's just a tough problem they have over there, but uh, it doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to be helped by the ownership and front office situation there at this point either. So. I mean, Hey, they, uh, I mean, if they were going to pay somebody 50 million to take Nolan Arenado, the Tigers should have just jumped on it. Yeah. We don't need him, but yeah. I'll take 50 yeah. mil. Yep. And we t- trade Candelario for a, decent starting pitcher and you know away we go yeah so yeah so things have changed a lot um in that score over the last four or five years for the tigers and no time more than just in the last you know six months when they overhauled their not only their player development system but and staff but um but rearranged the front office finally um kind of kind of nudging uh dave littlefield and probably david chad although he still i think holds the uh, vice president title Kind of aside, um, it feels like Jace Artori, who is the the Tigers analytics guru, is probably doing most of the of the player acquisition um, at this point, and kind of in charge of that side of things now. Sam Menson is um, is VP of baseball operations now, so that changed quite a bit. But then, yeah, after they got that done, um, the real big changes, as far as we're concerned, started with um, with bringing in um, Ryan Garko to run the Tigers player development system. Um, who else? They got like Euclid is Rojas in there now. They got Gabe Rebus running as the director of pitching. Um, I think that we've still got Dan Hubbs, who is actually like the the hands-on, or not Dan Hubbs. Um, ah, excuse me, Kenny Graham. 
is the um, the director of player development now. So they brought in all these coaches um, from the Dodgers, largely um, a bunch of guys with driveline experience. Max Gordon, who is a, a, a former teammate of Matthew Boyd, I believe, at Oregon State. Um, kind of a kind of a bit of a college local legend there who became a hitting coach with driveline. Uh, so he's in there now. There's there's a whole lot of changes. Um, I mean, first of all, I guess we haven't had you on to talk maybe so much about how you felt about the Tigers player development system over the last like five or six years versus the changes now. But can you kind of give us like where you where you thought they were and how you feel about the the new hirings that they made? Yeah, um, I love the direction they're going. Let's start there. Um, in the past, you know, I'm, I was absolutely in the group making the jokes about how the Tigers can't develop hitting. And, um, you know, they, they got a good rap because they could develop pitching, but really they just had Casey Mize, Matt Manning and Tarek Skubal who were really good. Um, I, I mean, it's hard to know exactly what they did, but then I, it just started to evolve a couple of years ago um, at PitchCon held by the very first PitchCon actually held by PitcherList and Nick Pollock. Um, I got to talk to Tarek Skubal and Alex Fiedo, um on a panel. And what, what Skubal was saying was really sticking out to me in that they were starting to adopt a, a lot more technology. So he said, um, and this is right after his breakout year and you're watching, and if you read the reports, you know, his, his breaking pitches were bleeding into each other, which means his, his slider and his curveball looked alike in terms of shape. Um, and he was talking about how he wanted to fix that and how he's been working with the Tigers to fix that and how they come to him and, you know, maybe say, Hey, you want, we want you to work on this today. So I was, you know, turned into a funny story. He threw a changeup that got hit a million feet and he's like, well, I guess I'm still throwing a lot of changeups, but <laughs> he came back the next year. And that was the pandemic shortened year where he got, he was late to the, um, to the alternate site because he was sick. And then he like two months later was like, okay, you're in the majors. But he came out and he had two distinct breaking pitches. He had his curveball, he had a slider. And that to me was kind of like, okay, I think they're going in a good direction here, right? Because he yeah. can talk about it. He can say he's working on this. And then he comes out and he shows it. So that was really cool to see. And I think they're coming along a, a bit. It's still tough to judge hitters. I think you need to find a couple of hitters who are just non-molded clay and yeah. see what happens to them. And that is your probably right now, just to drop a few names, probably, you know, Roberto Campos, Isaac Pacheco, those type of hitters. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's, it's fair to look at, you know, Riley Green and say, look at what they're doing with hitting. Cause Riley Green is just an animal. Um, <laughs> so it's uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens with hitting. I'm very optimistic that they will be able to do some really good things. The pitching side, I just, it's a lot easier to see a direction yeah. Um, yeah. because it's a lot easier to see some of these numbers and they put a huge emphasis on spin rates lately. Um, and that is awesome. So for example, Elvin Rodriguez got added to the 40 Twitter was mixed reviews about it, whatever he got added to the 40. He has all of his pitches outside of the changeup where you don't worry about spin rate. His fastball is over plus spin and his other two breaking pitches are above average spin. Like he is, he has the spin. He has, the kind of data behind him where that's what the organization wants. So yeah, why not add him to the 40, protect him from being taken in the rule five and see if you can get a, a solid reliever out of him. I think you can based on just the data. And, and also if you watch him pitch, his, his stuff is pretty nasty. It's just a matter of throwing strikes, but yeah, that's and, really and, cool. And if you're, if people are wondering why he's not, yeah, not necessarily on our top 30 that you're, it's the strike throwing. I mean, he just hasn't really, this, you know, it's kind of been like three seasons where we said the same thing about him 
you know, waiting for him to start spotting the fastball better, starting, you know, starting to use the, the curveball and the slider more effectively. And it just hasn't really, this hasn't really happened yet. So if people are like, oh, well, he wasn't on your list. It's like, well, he could have been, I mean, you know, anybody from say 20 to 40, you probably could rearrange the pieces there. And yeah, I think, uh, I think Elvin makes a pretty good relief prospect. It's just that he's starting to run out of time. He's just sort of up against the wall, having been in the system a long time, needing to be protected from the rule five draft. Now, a couple of those issues involved. Yeah. Yeah, definitely something to prove this year. And again, look at who they've hired, right? Chris Fetter and, and AJ Hinch. If you just want to look at those two hirings, you yeah. know that they're looking to go younger and more progressive, which is just fantastic. It almost seemed like they were waiting out the clock until they had enough guys that they liked in terms of players to be like, okay, let's get our guys. We're going to have a development team, which, you know, think of that what you will. But it's just, it's good to see that. And it, you, it's, you can see it across all platforms. Jackson Job huge spin rate guy, a data monster. Yeah. Um, so as are the, uh, many of the other people they drafted, look at the rule five draft. I know it's a minor league rule five draft that nobody actually cares about except absolute nerds like myself who wrote <laughs> like a thousand words on it. Yeah. The guy, the guy they didn't protect who's heralded as maybe one of the best prospects to go um, does not have great spin. He's got good stuff, but he doesn't have great spin. Um, and, and well, that's on his breaking pitch is yeah. It's, it's on his breaking pitches is fastball is more of a two seam. So it doesn't necessarily need the, you know, the best spin on it, but yeah. Then you look at the guys they brought in, um, Jose, uh, Elvis Alvarado, who has just awful numbers, if you want to look at that, and Nick Cousia, who actually did pretty well. They have at least one pitch with a, with above-average spin. Yeah. So it's something that they've really – and spin rate is obviously not the only thing they're looking at. It's not the only measurement that matters when talking about pitching and data, but it's a huge step forward for what I think they were doing and where they were at. These teams use technology, I think, that we don't even know exists, which is good, but it's good to see technology (laughs) we do know exists and numbers we do know exist being put to work by the Tigers organization. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think Matt Boyd kind of kind of marked the the delineation between like, you know, the Dombrowski era um, of, of player development. And this is at the major league level, of course, not not so much necessarily in the farm system. But, you know, Boyd was the first one who you know, made a big deal about, you know, working on his spin rate, working on, you know, developing more true spin on his fastball, um, going to driveline baseball, which, you know, led to Daniel Norris and, you know, Tarek Skubal's gone to driveline. A lot of them, a lot of them have. And there was sort of that transition period where, you know, driveline seemed to be doing a lot of the work that, that we had kind of hoped, you know, that the Tigers would get to. And eventually the Tigers have started to, you know, kind of, kind of integrate all of that into their own processes So maybe you won't, you know, you might still see people training there, but hopefully less of the, um, you know, everybody who breaks out or develops new pitch or, or, you know, changes their swing in terms of hitting has either gone to driveline or Doug Lada, you know, the private hitting instructor who, you know, has, has worked with Derek Hill and and Jake Rogers and helped both of them out. Um, You know, we should see more of that kind of thing just happening internally. And yeah, I mean, you know, it's, it's been nice to see them start to focus on spin rate. Um, it seemed like there was an emphasis for a while on, you know, trying to find like a little bit more of a variety of arm angle, um, trying to find some splitter guys, uh, just, just trying to find, you know, rather than taking those sort of really pedestrian, you know, 45 plus fastball guys with like a, a fringy breaking pitch and fringy changeup, which we used to just have tons of, and they would never, you know, just never seem to ever be able to develop those guys. It seems like they're, you know, they've, they've got different points of emphasis. Almost everybody who they, they take in the, the higher rounds does something particularly well. And then they look up to shore up the weaknesses rather than kind of these like well-rounded, you know, but, but not good at anything, uh, jack of all trades, but, you know, master of none type guys. 
which they had, you know, plenty of for a while. So, yeah, I mean, overall, I think, you know, things seem to be, you know, moving in, in the right direction. It's, it's just been crazy writing about pitching. Um, this is just an aside, but I'm sure it's, it's been the same for you guys over there watching it um, unfold, you know, where 2015, you know, we get spin rate data and everybody starts trying to figure out, you know, how that works. And, you know, is it pure, you know, max spin rate? Is that all you should worry about? You know, is it good to have you know, really low spin rate as opposed to an average spin, spin rate. You know, we had those discussions and then, you know, now we've got seam shifted wake and, you know, guys who don't necessarily have spin efficiency who are really good in weird, slightly still unquantifiable ways. And now, you know, now we're on to, um, you know, vertical approach angle, which is, you know, become a huge part and a huge emphasis for, you know, the teams who are really, really in the know over the past couple of years. And it still feels like a lot of teams have no idea about that and are still pretty, pretty out of the, out of the loop on that score. Yeah. And you know what, to, to, in terms of those numbers, the two things that uh, um, when looking at a fastball, if I can see the, the world of data, the two things that I really look at are the spin and the IVB, mm -hmm. um, the induced vertical break. And it's less of, you know, what does that, look like for a fastball because when you get a good shaped fastball you're probably not really going to see you know how good of a shape it is really you can sometimes see when there's good ride and stuff but yeah. if it got like uh i'll go back to elvin rodriguez right because i was just looking at some of his data he has really good really high ivb it's it's 60 plus if you want to put it in the scouting terms so for me you look at that and it's more about how that pitch can be used than you know it's amazing to see that he just has this and look what the Tigers are doing. It's about using it right. When you get that high IVB and that high spin, that's really good spin efficiency. You're going to get good ride. You want to use that up in the zone. Yeah. Uh, and that's where it's going to play best rather than if you get lower IVB, right? You can still have good spin, but that's more of a two seam type profile or sinker profile that you're going to want to live down with. Um, and I know this isn't uh a tiger, but the, the guy in my mind right now is Hunter Green because I was just, I, I mean, I, yeah. I dove in head first here. He loves to use his four seam like a sinker, but if he would use it up in the zone more, that pitch at 103 miles an hour is going to be absolutely nasty because it kind of takes on a similar profile to what I was just talking about with Elvin. Yeah. Uh, so if he, you know, you, you can't obviously exclusively use your fastball up, but it, it just will play really well there when you have those numbers. And um, so the Tigers obviously know that better than I do, tenfold better than I do. <laughs> Yeah, Feder, um, Feder is, uh, is probably right. one of the cutting edge guys in that regard, yeah. Right, so it, it, they're taking this stuff, and it's more than just saying, okay, this guy's got good spin, cool, let him throw his breaking stuff. It's taken saying, this is what it looks like, so let's strategize how you're going to use this pitch to play off this pitch to play off this pitch. I mean, they can use release height too. Lower release height plays better up in the zone as well, rather than if you're coming from all the way over the top and trying to make it come downhill, it's not going to play as well up in the zone. So there's just a lot that they have that they can use to mold these pitchers and it's really cool and before i give you the mic back i just want to say the tigers have been <laughs> drafting really well too um just going off of something you said about them filling in the gaps they've been waiting on a lot of guys just to get value um that's how dylan dingler happened right they got gage workman colt keith late in that one draft um the catcher michael rothenberg that they just got he was one of the best hitting catchers he fell all the way down i mean they're doing a good job finding value at face level of the draft you don't know until they develop but at face level as they're drafting, I'm like, they're doing a good job getting value right now. It's it's a lot of fun to like Tigers prospects at the moment. Yeah, um, that's a great point in particular because, um, yeah, I mean, when I started covering the Tigers back in like 2014, I mean, you look through that, through that farm system and it was just, you know, college hitter after college hitter who had 
no standout tool of any sort. That kind of goes back to what I was saying, saying earlier about these guys who were like all okay, but you couldn't really see, you know, a, a type of even really other than that they weren't going to be good. <laughs> you know, there was, there wasn't much of a, of an emphasis. It really, fe- you know, felt like just a grab bag of guys. Whereas now, yeah, I mean, you look at Austin Burr, um, another one who probably a lot of people aren't going to look at that much because unless he learns to drive the ball in the air, you know, his profile is, is fairly useless, but he does have, you know, pretty remarkable plate discipline um, and pretty good hands. You know, he makes plenty of contact, hits the ball on the ground way too much, but, you know, he's got average raw power. And if he could, you know, manage to turn that around, um, we could see a lot more out of, out of someone like that. Um, and those are, you know, those are lottery tickets, but those are the kind of lottery tickets you want to buy where you actually have a chance to win. Yeah. And I'll take this chance early in the podcast to just say Ben Malgieri's name. Don't oh, yeah. follow up. Just want to say his name. No, he's, <laughs> I love yeah. Ben Malgieri. I've been getting so much into Ben Malgieri lately because <laughs> it's kind of like, he's got, I, I love his swing. Uh, he's got power. He swings and misses, but he's fast. He can play any position defensively. Yeah. If he could just hit the ball a little bit. Like I, <laughs> I absolutely love Ben Malgieri. I've been so high. I actually campaigned to get him in the top five hitters that just missed. Uh, so sorry to whoever got booted out because of him, but I think it's worth having him there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think we missed out on anybody, <laughs> anybody too important. Yeah. I mean, and we all have our guy, like, you know, to, from what I've seen to him, he's like a more potent looking like Andre Lipsius, you know, like I like Andre Lipsius cause he does a lot of things reasonably well. He makes a lot of contact. He's pretty good at, at second and third base, but just doesn't hit for enough power to kind of profile as like that, that sort of, you know, fifth infielder type, um, Whereas Malgari can do a, a couple other things for you, um, the kind of things that you would like in a bench player. So, yeah, again, it's like finding finding a guy who can do a couple of things well. So yeah, yeah and you know what? To, to Brandon, to sprinkle in the last part of of adding talent to your farm system, the Tigers have also started to use international free agency more, mm-hmm. and it's it's been a, a pretty easy to follow strategy they have. We're going to take most of our bonus pool. And we're going to throw it on one guy yeah. and then we'll fill in the gaps later, which is great. I mean, tons of teams do that. The nationals do that. And they got Juan Soto. I'm not saying that the tigers are going to get Juan Soto because Juan Soto is not though. They don't just come along, but that's what they do. They, they are a team that just says we have our bonus pool. It's going to go to you. And then the rest of you can get like $6. It's 10,000. I think is the one that when you're over the pool, but yeah. Um, and that's how the tigers have gotten some pretty exciting guys. I mean, Roberto Campos was the big name. Uh, Christian Santana was yep. the big name in this year. It's uh, Javier Osorio. Yep. So and you and often like the you know the secondary guy who may, who gets like a million. Like there's kind of been some of that as well. You know, like yeah, where it's like one big purchase and then like maybe one or two others who are in the you know in the high six figures, you know, low seven figures number. And then yeah, like we'll we'll figure out the so rest. Yeah. For those secondary, I think Manuel Sequeira, uh, Abel Bastidas, and uh, yeah. this year it's it's uh, Gill, Samuel Gill. Yeah, yep, exactly. And, you know, and maybe like the earliest one was sort of like Alvaro Gonzalez. Um, you know, people remember Jose De La Cruz and Adinso Reyes. They've been on our list before. Um, De La Cruz made the list this year, um, but a lot of that is still just faith. Like none, none of them has, has done uh, squat, frankly. <laughs> So far. Yeah. Yeah. They have that agrees a great thing when you want to make a prospect list. Yep. And raw, raw power potential. Like if you've got that, everyone <laughs> will hang in there with you until you're like 23, you know, just, just yeah. hoping, hoping yeah. it comes together. Um, yep. Whereas with other guys, sometimes we're, we're less patient when maybe we should be, you know, like, I, like I think of Eric, you know, Eric De La Rosa, like another player who was just so raw, like fundamentals were terrible when they got him. He was just an athlete. He's just, you know, just fast. Um, 
and a fairly well-built kid. And, you know, a couple of years on, like he starts to look more like he might be able to be kind of a slash and dash, dash fourth outfielder in a way that like Daz Cameron hasn't quite been able to, you know, to piece together. Um, so yeah, another, you know, another example of a guy that they took just because of the athleticism, which I think is another emphasis the Tigers have had when you look at, you know, taking Matt Manning and Jackson Job, you know, there's a lot of risk there, but they bet on both of those guys because the athleticism is high end. Um, same thing with Dylan Dingler, you know, no one necessarily loves the bat, but he does have power and he's, you know, he's a very athletic catcher and you kind of think, yeah, if anybody's gonna gonna figure it out and improve their hit tool, it's probably a guy who's you know an elite athlete with you know elite makeup and work ethic, and maybe he'll figure something out. I mean, my favorite thing about Dingler to describe how athletic he is is that when he was at Ohio State, he was a catcher, but also sometimes they put him in center field. Center field, folks. Yeah, not like it's not like he just we're gonna put you at first or right field. He played center field. Yeah, this wasn't Alex Avila <laughs> playing shortstop for what for you know one inning or something. Yeah, this was like a regular a regular thing. And yeah, you know, Dingler, you know, kind of comes in right between 45 and 50. If you look at his, his sprint speed, um, based on varying attempts to clock him, you know, home to first that I've seen, but yeah, you know, uh, you don't see that a lot from, from a catcher and you know what else, this is just random. It has nothing to do with the farm system, but Eric Haas, when he was a prospect, you know, I, I believe his speed grades were like 35 and 40. And now he's like in the top, you know, the, the top 20% in, uh, in major league baseball, like just on the outside, of, of, you know, of being like above average, you know, pretty, pretty well above average speed. And I would like to know how that happened. I need to talk to Cody Stavenhagen and get him to uh, get him to quiz that man uh, about what he was working on as far as his speed the last four or five years since he was a prospect. And Haas, I think he, if I'm remembering right, in terms of when he was a prospect, that was in Cleveland along with uh, Francisco Mejia, who was the next big catcher. And like, they had some fun catchers and now they're all everywhere else. Yeah, yeah. Like, I know, it's got to be tough to be a, a, a Guardians fan now. Yeah. Yeah. Or yes. Yeah. Okay, good. I said Cleveland. So we're good. Yeah. yeah, Guardians. yeah you're, no, you're good. You're good either way. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take time. I still say disabled list sometimes. Still comes out. <laughs> Hard to change these uh, these terminologies, but yeah, that, I, you know what? It's it's even worse if you're an Orioles fan because they have DL Hall. So I don't. Uh, you know, yeah. Do you call him IL Hall now? I don't. Uh, DL Hall. You know, I was a I, I was a big DL Hall guy back when he was going to be drafted. I wanted him instead, but uh, we'll see. Well, I mean, if if you like lefties who throw upper nineties, he's for you. But other than that, it's, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, who who wants another Garrett Crochet? You know, garbage. Park Scoobal, overrated. <laughs> Um, it is, it is interesting. Well, we can talk about Tarek Scoobal a little more just because I, it's been really interesting to see what happened since the, um, the loss of the spin rate, you know, like, um, in 2020, as you said, like, you know, had, had finally kind of demarcated two different breaking balls, two different shapes. Um, the changeup looked better and, you know, his command was terrible. Um, but, you know, considering the fact that he had like two or three weeks to like get into game shape coming straight from double a to major leagues. He looked all right, but, um, but, you know, the spin rate at that point was still like 2450 RPMs on the, on the four seamer. And then he came out this year, of course, and it was more like 2200 and we were all like, Oh, oh like sadness, um, whatever, whatever stickiness was going on there between him and the ball. He apparently was one of the early guys to be like, Nope, forget it. You know, we better, uh, we better play by the, by the straight and narrow. So that's going to be an interesting thing to watch this year too, is that as they, they kind of try to tune him up with more of like a sinker approach um, and still, you know, he can still use the, the four seamer upstairs because he's got huge velocity and deception in his delivery and a, and a host of other attributes. But um, that's that's going to be interesting to see how they they continue to sort of tune that fastball. 
Yeah, and it's a good fastball. I mean, he used it in the minor leagues at like 70% and probably because it's all he needed. I mean, this is a double plus fastball. I say was, it probably still is. I mean, it just, it's a good fastball that he can live off of if he throws it a lot. So adding the sinker, cool. Um, I I think, you know, he's got a bevy of off-speed pitch. I think he'll be fine if he has to revert back to using his fastball more often. Obviously, you can't use it 70% um, unless you're Lance Lynn, which, I mean, hey. Maybe, but yeah, you don't like to say, Hey, you know, we're going to turn you into Lance Lynn out of the gate. It yeah. took Lance Lynn seven years to be an all star throwing fastballs that often, but it's, it's, uh, you know, he uses fastball a lot. It's a pitch he likes, and it'll be like you said, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, um, I'm not necessarily as worried just because he does have a good fastball to move off of, and he's got so much other things happening in terms of changeup, curveball, slider. Yeah, he can approach it from different angles. So even if the spin rates are down, the ball's still going to wipe out in a different direction, you know, mm-hmm. so it's just I, a matter I, of uh, sequencing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Just giving you that different look with the sinker once in a while, um, especially against certain, you know, certain type hitters, like, you know, the, the guys who can handle the fastball up, you know, he, he can turn to the sinker now. And as long as, yeah, I mean, I think the problem, the only problem Tarek Scuba really has at this point is that he's a little bit home run prone and that's um, you know, and that's more, a function of throwing too many grouped fastballs down the middle, middle, probably, you know, and the occasional hanger, of course. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not particularly concerned there either, but it, but it is like interesting to watch them, you know, have to have to sort of retune him because what he looked like in 2020 was that he was just going to throw fastballs over everybody's bat, drop this nasty changeup in there and, you know, kind of pitch like a, like a left-handed, you know, well, Tyler Glass now is a bit much, but you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like a super high spin power pitcher. And I can sit here all day and talk about uh, things that I see. And, and I've never pitched a major league game. I haven't thrown a fastball over 72 miles an hour. So with that, though, you know, when you when you talk about the ways pitches move and throwing up down in the zone, you can approach it differently based on different hitters, right? Because every hitter now is is looking at different uh, bat paths and trying to learn more and more about that. Um, Randy Rosarena is the name that comes to mind when I think of an overtly flat bat path, which is good at one thing, yeah. and that is hitting speed up in the zone a long way yeah but then you get to the spin and all of a sudden he swings and misses a lot right so it's just a, a matter of of figuring out what pitches are going to work to what hitters what type of bat paths whatever um because everything's gonna be different you know you get a guy who's got a massive uppercut that massive loft in his swing maybe don't throw him a sinker yeah. so <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, attack him up in the zone and again i can sit here and talk theoretically like that all the time but these are professional hitters who would uh, hit my batting practice way out of the park Sure. Um, but it's just interesting to think about, and this is why I love all this, is how do you approach these guys with what you have? <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, there's a lot you can do. And I think going back to how this conversation started, that is what the massive step forward that the Tigers um, organization has gotten in terms of pitching is that they, I think, are, are just a lot better now at figuring out, A, how to use these pitchers and the, the arsenals they have, where to use them, and, and how to use them to approach different hitters. Yeah. Yep. And that ties into, you know, emphasizing the defensive skills of their catchers, the, you know, um, their ability to execute the game plan, keep the pitcher on, you know, on point and make adjustments in game. But yeah, it's all, it's all about adjustments now, you know, just like slight adjustment here, counter adjustment there. You know, we can look at the macro, you know, concepts like, okay, if a guy, you know, if you've got a high spin, you know, four seamer guy, you know, versus a sinker guy, two different types of hitters are going to, you know, going to apply there. guys with a lot of loft in their swing, like, like sinkers down in the zone. Um, whereas the flat bat, bat path guys, guys who stand very upright, 
um, yeah, tend, tend to be better at hitting the high fastball and forcing pitchers, you know, to kind of go away down a little bit more, but, um, but that's still just like, yeah, just like the, the baseline, you know, simplest, you know, iteration of the rule set. <laughs> let's, let's put it that way. Cause yeah, there's just, there's just so many things, you know, so many other elements that, that come into play with it now, but yeah, I mean, you feel like with Chris better there, I'm an AJ Hinch and, and that whole coaching staff that they, they know what they're doing better than most. And I think, you know, some of this might've been players getting older, you know um, you know, some surprises like Akil Badu, obviously, but, um, but, you know, they got so much more out of the same talent by and large that, you know, Guardy and his group had. And I think we're probably, you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to get the uh, fan base too riled up and excited, but I'm, I'm looking for some of that this year. I expect, you know, that the Tigers should have more breakouts, more improvement um, amongst their prospects, particularly the hitters than we're used to seeing. And it might take a year or two for all these, you know, the new development um, chiefs to sort of like, you know, install their protocols everywhere and get everyone on the same page. But, um, you know, I, I would look for, you know, for a lot better development from these guys. And I have to be happy about it because I spent most of the last five years dogging the Tigers for, you know, keeping Alavila and Dave Littlefield and all these guys, you know, instead of, as I keep, as I kept saying, you know, like rather than hiring mammals, they waited for the dinosaurs to evolve. And um, they finally did, you know, they finally, um, you know, moved some people aside. They finally brought in a whole lot of, you know, younger development talent from, you know, one of the best pipelines in the game, obviously the LA Dodgers. Um, you know, we wanted them to poach, you know, Heim Bloom and, you know, all these and I wanted Gabe Kapler, you know, as the Tigers manager when they fired Osmonds, you know, it was like, we could have started this earlier, but they finally got there. So I have to be, uh, I have to be happy about it. And I certainly feel much more optimistic about, about the future with, you know, the new development guys with Sartori in there, making a lot of the, the, the personnel decisions and with AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter advising them all on, on all those decisions. And it's pretty clear that AJ Hinch and Chris Fetter pay a lot of, a lot of attention to the farm system. You know, they don't, they don't talk like guys who are here, you know, to go one and done this year. Um, you know, they seem to be around for the long haul and, you know, even mid season, a lot of the, the updates that we got on various prospects came from AJ Hinch, which I've never seen before. You never saw Ron Gartenhire or Brad Osmus, you know, talking about, you know, whoever, whoever we even had back then, <laughs> Kristen Stewart, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, and Brandon, the, the timing is no accident, whether you agree with it or not. Right. It's not, it's no accident that, Mize, Manning, Scooball are AAA or higher, and they go, okay, you know, uh, we're going to bring in A.J. Hinch. I mean, it was good fortune that A.J. Hinch was available yeah. and good fortune that A.J. Hinch uh, or the White Sox didn't want A.J. Hinch, but mm -hmm. it was, yeah. you know, it's not an accident. They said, okay, we got A.J. Hinch. Great. Now we're going to go to Michigan where they have this pitching factory and we're going to just go ahead and pluck Chris Fetter. And it's it's not look at where they are, right? I, I mentioned the pitchers, but look at the hitters too. You have uh Riley Green, who's exploded probably faster than anybody thought, but then you bring in Torque, and both of them are triple A. Ryan Kreidler, you know, uh Cody Clemens. Not that Kreidler and Clemens are organization changing prospects, but yeah. some of the hitting they've been waiting on, the dinosaurs evolving, are really close. So mm -hmm. this is when their plan goes into play. It's no it's not an accident that all of a sudden they say, uh, two years to Robbie Grossman, and also here's Javi Baez, and we're going to go get Tucker Barnhart. Five years for for Erod. It's not an accident that all this is happening right now. Yep. The you know the overhaul of the organization and the the talent on the field. 
this is now the rebuild that was five years away for about 10 years. At least it felt like <laughs> yeah. coming into coming into play and saying, okay, we're going to now make a push. And it doesn't mean that this year is, is the Tigers playoff push even or world series push. Right. But this is the first year I think that we can honestly look at each other as, as bless you boys, writers, as fans of the Detroit Tigers as a year of they're trying. Yeah. Last year, I don't think they were necessarily trying, but they were they were closer and they had a fun team. Yeah. This year, you're looking, you're like, oh man, like they they still might not make the playoffs. They still might not even they they might be third in the AL Central, but they are putting a product out there that is actually trying to win baseball games. Which is, you know, the players weren't actively trying to lose. You don't do that, but they're yeah. the, the talent level is increasing, and it's it's just all around in the organization from players, and it's just not an accident, and it's so fun. Yeah. And then the CBA, but we're not going to worry about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, well, whatever. You know, eventually eventually that'll have to work itself out. But um, but yeah, it's um, it's an amazing time and it really has, you know, come together pretty quickly. You know, like from the moment it was clear that they were going to um, they were going to hire A.J. Hinch. It's just been a 100% turnaround. Um, and that's not all, you know, A.J. Hinch's credit, of course, but that really was the the demarcation line where, you know, it just, uh, it's just been a complete, um, complete switch. And now not only is the team better, but it's also, yeah, like the, the kind of fun team that has like a couple switch hitters. Um, it's got like three good speed guys, um, you know, arguably four with Baez in there now. Um, you know, it's, it's got that variety. It's got a, a much deeper bullpen, which makes games a lot less painful um, to watch when you have a lead. Um, and you've got like this, yeah, this nice mix of young talent, um, prospects still coming up and you've also got like a pretty good smattering of veterans out there who can you know sort of guide the youngsters along a little bit and um and you know maybe provide like a little bit of a a steadying hand there as well so yeah the other thing too the tigers looked very prepared last year and i i know that's always been like aj hinch's you know hallmark is that his teams are better prepared than than your team is going to be um I, you know it's going to be interesting to see how that kind of thing plays out with someone like javi Baez because if Javi Baez simply made better swing decisions, um, you know, early in counts, you know, we, we could get, you know, peak Javi Baez again. Um, you know, there's, there's a couple of players like that where you just wonder um, what, what effect this coaching staff might have, you know, the, 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 the Red Sox are pretty good at, uh, at pitching development, but I'm still, still very interested to see what Erod looks like um, under Chris Fetter too. Like that, that could be very fun as well. So, yeah, I mean, all in all, it's, it's just yeah, all kind of, kind of radically overhauled in the past year or two. And, and just one more thing on that. It's about how some of these players are being used too, right? I mean, I'm, I'm no uh, stranger to the, why do we still have Kyle Funkhauser playing baseball in a Tigers uniform? Yeah. Uh, but he carved out a really good role. Like Kyle Funkhauser, you're excited to see him come out and pitch. It's not like a, uh, yep. oh man, this guy, it's, it, he had a good season out of the bullpen. Like it's how these players are being used. And that's just the first example that comes to mind of a guy who, you know, yeah. Tigers, fan base ready to cast off and and now Kyle Funk I was like yeah yeah funk. funky yeah yeah exactly yep you know the Tigers sometimes are slow or at least have been slow to kind of make adjustments with guys um you know pitchers like they, they like to hold them in a starting role as long as possible and then you know if they're going to convert them they do it late other teams are a lot more aggressive about that sort of thing uh, maybe we will be um going forward I don't know you know there's a you know like Tanner Colehep you know, Tyler Madison, there's a couple of guys like that who it'll be interesting to see if the Tigers just kind of, you know, like, all right, you're, you're a reliever, you know, we're going to, we're yeah, going to put right. you in the Zach Hess, you know, bin and turn you loose and see how this goes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah let's not forget there was a time, 
then I think it was when I just started, bless you boys, where we were really excited about the, uh, I think it was Drew Verhagen opening for Daniel Norris. And we're like, yes, this is it. Like, yeah. go. This is innovation. <laughs> innovation is happening here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I remember arguing for, for Gabe Kapler and everyone just being, you know, largely upset about it. You know, like, oh, we don't want Gabe Kapler. You know, he's never been a manager before. He's not, you know, he doesn't know what he's doing. I was, you know, and I was just like, I, whatever it takes for me to get Gabe Kapler in our organization, I don't care what job you give him, you know, you can make him, you know, Alavila's, you know, right-hand man for all I care. I just, I want, uh, I want somebody from, you know, the, the Rays, the Astros or the Dodgers, who's been high up in the development system. And I want them in our system overhauling it right now. So yeah, they finally, uh, they finally gotten there and yeah. Um, so yeah, at the same time, you've got the, the major leagues team coming together and you've got a bunch of more top prospects about the, you know, are still developing in terms of Maya Scooble and obviously Manning, but um, you know, and then we're going to get, going to get big torque in there. We're going to get Riley in there and that's going to be a lot of fun. And behind it, you know, this is, this is where we'll kick off the, the prospect list you know, conversation, but you know, the farm system's not that bad. We, we certainly are lacking like the, the slew of 45 plus guys that, that certain teams have where, you know, that, that range looks a little bit more promising um, but, you know, I look at, you know, from like the Tigers, you know, 10 to 10 to 40, there's all guys there who could actually contribute at some point. Um, and I can remember when the Tigers had literally like five or six guys, you know, I mean, it was just so bad as far as um, the depth was concerned back in like 2014, 2015, 2016, even before, you know, we started to get some of the top prospects, there just wasn't anything there. And now, yeah, I mean, I look down the list and I see guys that, you know, have a chance, um, you know, way down the list. So overall, you know, the, the whole depth of the organization, I think is better. Um, you know, when Torque and, and Green graduate, yeah, it's not going to look like a particularly good system because you got Jackson Job and Dylan Dingler leading the way. But um, but overall, overall, I mean, how do you feel about it right now as we uh, we near a potential spring training? Yeah, no. So I just to, to build on what you were just saying, let's just take a look at the bless you boys top 10. If you if you read down it, Outside of Riley Green and Ryan Kreidler, eight of those players came into the system in the last like two years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Wentz maybe might have been the year before, right? But yeah, it's it's a matter of, of getting new talent in. So it might look, it's going to look bad once you lose, you know, Green and once you lose Torque at the top. Um, I've said this before, and I mean this in the most loving way possible. This system is just kind of boring, which is awesome. Because <laughs> yeah. before you're like, uh, I, I hate this system. And then it's super exciting because you got all these pitchers and everything. But you get past Torque Green. If you're a Dingler guy, maybe Dingler. I love Job, so I, I'll throw Job in there. But you get past those top four, and you're just like, I mean, these guys are solid. It's, yeah. I'm not really worried about them. I don't think anybody's going to shoot up a ton outside of a couple names yeah. but it's it's in the nicest way possible that i can say this kind of a boring system and um i you know yeah you're missing some of those guys who can take massive jumps uh and the ones who can take the jumps come with an extreme risk level yeah. when you talk about campos santana pacheco some of the you know the top names there yeah but also you have dingler at a high level torque and green are at a high level uh, Madden should move pretty quick. Job's going to be a slower burn, obviously, but Kreidler's in the top 10. He's at a high level. Like these guys are here mm -hmm. and it's going to be fun to see them try to integrate in Detroit, whether they have a position two or not. Cause there's still those, you know, middle of the road guys like, like, you know, Isak that, that are trying to fight for a spot. And then you're going to yeah. try to fill in Ryan Kreidler and, you know, they got a ton of that, but it's youth is coming 
and new blood is coming. And whether the system looks good or not, the point is to win championships, not have the best farm system in baseball. So once the good guys are out, if they're playing well at the major league level, awesome. <laughs> yep, yep. Don't worry about the rest. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I think if we look at that supporting cast, like over the top, you know, 10 to, to 16 on our list. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just guys who can help. Like there's not a whole lot of guys who have like huge breakout potential. Obviously, yeah, Pacheco's got double plus potential power, um, you know, far less chance of getting to it. But, um, you know, but a chance and still still Depends just get on who you ask. Yeah. I mean, you could say the same thing about Workman. I mean, Workman doesn't have probably double, double plus potential, but Workman has a lot of tools. They've got tool, they've got toolsy guys. They've got, you know, a host of pretty reasonably solid depth starting types, um, you know, starting. Yeah. I mean, from Madden has, has more potential than that. So does Job. but you know, we, I really like Olson. Um, you know, Wentz is a good depth starting option potentially. Um, I, I really like Dylan Smith. I'm kind of, I'm, maybe the high man on Dylan Smith, um, you know, and, and maybe, I don't know. All right, we'll see. I, I, that'd be me, but continue. Some, somehow we didn't run into that um, together when we were knocking out the list. Cause so we probably, would have, Dil- we probably would, is... would have Dylan Smith at like, yeah, like 10th probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dylan Smith, top prospect in the organization. Don't worry about it. Yeah, uh, yeah. Just trust us. Uh, well, what, what happened is I knew about Dylan Smith and then I wrote his report for prospects live. And now I know about Dylan Smith and I'm yeah. like, like this is like if if you want to talk about my personal rankings, which we don't, because it's a bless you boys rankings podcast. But but you know it goes no, Joe go Madden. <laughs> it goes for me. It goes Joe Madden, and then now Smith, yeah, Olson, and Wentz, who I'm lower on than most people. But mm-hmm. but um, you know th- that Olson and Smith combination is really exciting, especially when you think about that Olson was the return for Daniel Norris. Yeah, two months and, of Daniel Norris. Which didn't go well, we, as you might imagine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we love Daniel Norris. Yeah, he is a, a great guy. I wanted the best things for him. When I was trying to make Bless You Boys notice me, I actually wrote about Daniel Norris getting his velocity back as a fan post. Like, I'm all for Daniel Norris. Yep. Um, I will always getting, be a Daniel Norris fan in my heart. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, I was interning with the Mud Hens, and he was the only player. And there were nice players. Like, there's nothing against the other players. He's the only player to come up and introduce himself to me when he was there on rehab. He's like, yeah, Daniel Norris. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> this is happening. I know uh, who you are and my God, yeah. you're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Love, love Daniel Norris, but, but he was not performing well. And then you get a top 10 prospect in the organization for two months of a pitcher who's not performing very well. Somebody made a mistake in Milwaukee and I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This was not, you know, Shane Green for Joey Wentz, which was like a, a very straightforward, you know, pretty reasonable deal for a low tier closer and a, you know, a solid back-end pitching, you know, candidate, solid back-end starter candidate. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, Olsen looks, you know, the stuff is fantastic. You know, he just has that sort of like, he has that sort of rotating delivery where he doesn't drive online to the plate enough for me. And I always worry about guys who, who strike me that way, um, figuring it, figuring it out in terms of command. But, you know, the, the kid's got, you know, two plus pitches and a, you know, above average fastball and, you know, a pretty good feel for a changeup as well. I mean, if he turns out to be a reliever and can just, you know, find two of those pitches that he can control, <laughs> we'll be all set. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, for Smith, just talk about the, yeah, uh, the yeah. Smith here. Why he's so enticing is that he is already able to throw the ball in the upper 90s. He's already got a really good slider. I think he's got a decent curveball um, and, and changeup is his fourth pitch. He could use some more like distinct shape, like what happened with, with Scooble. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, there's, there's come in there too, but what's different about him is he's a college arm coming out of Alabama. 
that still has room to project weight on his body or still has room to yeah. project. So he can actually build on what's already there. It's less seasoning. Yeah. I mean, there's still seasoning to be had, but it's not just seasoning like it would be with time adding time adding. It's he can build into living in the mid to upper nineties rather than just touching upper nineties. And that's really, really cool. And I, and his arm is like a whip. I mean, I'm yeah. so excited for it. Yeah, him. he's got a really loose, quick arm and really good balance too. That's that's another thing I noticed about him. I mean, the athleticism is is all there. And yeah, I mean, you just don't get like a like a kind of skinny 21 year old who still has a bunch of velocity projection out of Alabama, you know. And um, we always look at uh, athleticism when projecting changeups too. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up with an average change either. So. Yeah, there's uh there's an awful lot to like there. I mean, that that's a lot of pitcher to land where they did. Um, you know, at that point in the draft, I think people were kind of looking at the draft and going like, oh, geez, you know, they're taking a lot of pitchers here. What's going on? This is the great, the great pitcher draft, and people are having, you know, flashbacks to the great reliever draft that you know of of uh, the Dombrowski era when we were trying to compete. But uh, no, n- nothing like that. I mean, I think I think I can pretty comfortably say we both like Madden. We both really like um, Dylan Smith. And there's a bunch of other interesting arms um, kind of in the mix there. And then we can also, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, and that takes us to the other part, whereas, you know, the Tigers are, you know, kind of allocating more of that money at the top, you know, like they they did that this year, they got Job, they got Madden. um, They spent a fair bit on, on Dingler in 2020. And they've managed to augment this by pulling all these pitchers out of their backside um, from, you know, like dudes they're drafting in the twenties in the draft, um, you know, finding Wilmer Flores, who we both really like, um, you know, found him as an undrafted free agent out of what Arizona Western college or some damn place um, for 20,000. Still more in Arizona. Yeah. I mean, Garrett Hill, you know, like a 26th rounder, I think Um, Brisky is basically, I, I think 28th or 29th rounder. And both of those guys looked pretty good, uh, but particularly Brisky. I mean, Br- Brisky was the big, along with Kreidler, was the big mover in the system this year. I was shocked with Brisky um, when I, I I did the visit to the video room early in, early in the year. I'd never even and heard of him he, to start the year, to tell you the truth. Me either. Yeah. No idea who he was. I know who he is now. I oh, did yeah. the visit to the video room, and I'll be honest with you, I walked away from it. I wrote all this really nice stuff about him, and I walked away going, yeah, he'll flame out at like double A. Uh, he didn't. Yeah. <laughs> he probably won't. Yeah. You know, I, I got to, um, again, another report that I got to write for Prospects Live, which means I got to take a little bit deeper dive into not just what he does on the field, um, but some of the underlying data. He has, like Elvin Rodriguez, a really good fastball shape. Yeah. He doesn't have the velocity that Elvin Rodriguez does, um, but he has that IVB and he has that spin with that fastball, which is Awesome. So now he's, he's kind of uh, with his command, which I think is above average. He's just got to find that second pitch right now. I think his second pitch is his changeup. Yeah. His slider is pretty decent. His curveball's not really there, but he's got to find the accompanying pitches to go with it. But his fastball is a really, really nice place to start his changeup when he throws it. Well, it's, it's inconsistent in my viewings. I, I mean, yeah. I don't know, but it's it's got really nice arm side fade when he throws it well to the bottom of the zone, and he's got the slider. If he can get the slider to be an average pitch, all of a sudden you're looking at a guy who I have uh, with a plus fastball, two average pitches, and above average command. Like you're looking at a really good pitcher. Yeah, yeah, not just like a yeah, not just like a six starter type, but yeah, possibly like a pretty good mid rotation starter. Um, especially if that you know, I didn't used to be of the of the mindset that you know hunt for command guys with, with sort of modest stuff and then develop them. But um, 
the way teams and, and to go with everything we've been talking about, the way teams have gotten better at, at doing this um, over the past three or four years, I have a lot more confidence in them. You know, if you can find a guy who's got pretty good command already and you feel like, you know, there's velocity projection there, you should be able to teach, you know, should be able to teach a guy like that a solid breaking ball um, and hopefully, you know, find a change up. And Brisky is just like, yeah, like an, the next level of ex- example of a guy who was just a, just a little command and control guy um, com- coming out of college and worked his ass off um, during the COVID year, built up this velocity, improved his change up. And yeah, I mean, all of a sudden he's looking very viable. So yeah, that was um, definitely one of the, one of the nicest surprises. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think you can kind of keep going down the list and, you know, there's, there's quite a lot of pictures there I'm interested in, but before, but before we do that, <clears throat> and I like this, um, the skipping around um, stream of consciousness methodology that we've got going. So I don't want to break that up too much, but let's just talk Riley and, and Torkelson um, first. I mean, obviously like you're a, you're a, a Riley green fanatic. Um, it's pretty hard not to be. Um, it's pretty hard not to be a, a Spencer Torkelson fanatic. I mean, the Tigers have two of the, if not the top five prospects in the game, the top ten certainly, um, and that just doesn't happen very often. Where you're going to graduate two guys like this at the same time. Um, Tiger fans are really in for a treat this year. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about how you know some of the signings that they made. You know, it, it all sort of sets the stage to contend. Um, doesn't necessarily guarantee it. What's going to guarantee it is if um, you know Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green do what we expect them to do over the next say two years, which is develop into, you know, two really good, well above average position players um, who can mash and possibly combine for, you know, 70 home runs a year. If we're fortunate. Um, you you got to love this. Um, what, what makes Riley Green the number one prospect overall compared to Torkelson? There's just certain things um, that a hitter can do at the plate that will separate them from other players, right? What makes Wander Franco so much better than every other baseball player to be alive, right? I mean, it's <laughs> something like that. And and it's um I and when I say this, like I am firmly a believer, like my I'm firm footed, I'll fight anybody. Riley Green is number one, Spencer Torkelson is number two. Mm-hmm. And that does not mean that yeah. I hate Spencer Torkelson. Yeah. Right. I'm not even low on Spencer Torkelson. I think he's going to be fantastic. But when when you look at what Riley Green can do at the plate, um, it's just, it's, I said Wanda Franco earlier, cause he's always on my brain when I'm talking about Riley green, like his hands are amazing. Riley green's hands are about the closest you're going to get to Wander Franco, at least that I've seen, right. It's the ability to cover the zone, um, without giving up some pop. It's a, the ability to keep your hands back when you recognize spin and still be able to put a, a good swing on the ball. Like these are things that are extremely hard to do. You can see, uh, I have tons of, I just wrote about this. There's tons of video in there, but you can see that when Riley green gets a fastball down the middle and you, you look at the point of contact, his mechanics are pretty much exactly the same as when he gets a breaking ball that he's golfing for a double down in his ankles, right? The only difference is his hands and his bat head are, are, are tilted downward so he can hit the ball. Yeah. Yeah. The spine tilt to get there, but the position is the same. Yeah, I agree. Right. And so when you can do things like that, which um, a, a lot of good hitters can do, but it's just is, is special to see a 20 year old doing that against triple A pitching. Yep. Um, I, I know it can be confusing when you talk about what what older competition means, but this means Riley Green, who should be in college, um, is seeing pitchers who are, have been in the majors, who are close to the majors, who are. Right. I mean, they're the, they're like the top guys you're going to get before you see the actual top guys. So 
it's amazing to see a 20 year old do that. And mm -hmm. when it comes to Torkelson, yeah, he's got a, a lot of patience. He'll be great uh, in terms of OBP. He can hit the ball. He can hit the ball with power. Um, I just think that he we're quick to forget how streaky he was um, because there were times multiple times throughout the year when he was super down yeah. and everybody's like, why did we take him with the first overall pick? And then he heated up and we're like, Oh, Spencer Torkelson's been fantastic. I never said anything bad about him. Okay. <laughs> right. And, and that's not a, and it's not a bad thing that he's free. I mean, he's a baseball player. He's a human. So is Riley green, but it just is, I think we're quick to forget that. So when I'm looking at those two with Riley green and my, I'm seeing a guy who could be a perennial all-star type Yeah. for his age, what he's already doing. You add seasoning to that. You take out some of the swing and miss. If you can make a, you know better swing decisions at certain times, mm -hmm. you're looking at a perennial all star. With with Spencer Torkelson, I think he could be an all star a few times. I think you're getting a big league regular. And when somebody says that, especially when they're saying that about a, a first overall pick, it sounds really bad, and it's just <laughs> so not. Yeah. Like, no. do you know how hard it is to get perennial all stars? <laughs> you're hoping to get big league contributors when you have a, a, a solid farm system. Um, not everybody's a superstar. That's what makes you know, people falling in love with prospects like, like me have, have rational love for most prospects very hard because some of them aren't going to work out. Yeah. Some of them are just going to be okay. And I think Spencer Torkelson is going to be a very important part of this Tigers lineup in the future. But for me, it's a matter of what these kids can do at their ceiling. And I'm old enough to call them kids, which is really sad. Um, <laughs> but, That's right. I'm old, I'm old enough to call you a kid. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so, but getting Riley Green as a perennial all-star and getting a, a big league regular out of Spencer Torkelson, and it looks like those are both very viable things to happen. It's not like we're saying a low A kid could be a perennial all-star. Yeah. These seem like the highest percentage, you know, probabilities. Yeah. 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 And, and, and if you want to put it in terms of, of also defensively, you have an outfielder versus a first baseman, right? In terms of war, that all works itself out. But I'm just talking purely at the plate. I have to take Green over Torkelson, mm -hmm. and both of them are really good hitters. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to take into account the, the whole, you know, the overall value of the player and the and the age and, and experience level. I mean, I, I think when, if people go and they look at – and looking at the stats is always a, always a good idea. Um, projecting on the stats and, and scouting on the stats is not a good idea. But, you know, take a look at Riley Green versus Spencer Torkelson's numbers, and they're they're quite comparable. And yet Riley Green is two years younger, and he started the year at double A, um, absolutely wrecked shop there, and then went to triple A and didn't miss a beat. So I think some people might look at, you know, whatever it was, 28% strikeout rate and kind of worry about him. He's just getting started. You know, like Spencer Torkelson has seen a lot better pitching for a lot longer than, than Riley Green has, um, and with a lot of consistency. And so part of that is just projecting, you know, that, that Riley Green is going to continue to keep getting better as they stand. I think they're pretty equal right now. Um, you know, like if you dropped both of them into a major league game today, I wouldn't expect, you know, Riley Green to dominate Spencer Torkelson or vice versa. Um, I think Spencer Torkelson is an above average, above average prospect, because I think there's enough power there and enough patience there that I do, I do expect him to be like kind of a 35 home run type threat. Um, probably won't hit anywhere near the average, you know, Riley's the type of guy who could, who could hit 290 and 300 sometimes that it wouldn't surprise us. Whereas Torkelson's probably more in the, you know, 250, 260 camp with a, with a good walk rate. And then, yeah, you've got to add in the fact that Riley green is faster. Riley green is going to play a tougher position, even if he's not a standout defender really in any way. Um, and, and shouldn't be playing center field in my, my opinion. And I, I don't really, I don't really think the Tigers are going to do a whole lot of playing him in center field. 
it just doesn't matter because you're getting such a good bat. Um, you know, I, I think you're going to see Riley Green probably in the two slot in the Tigers lineup very soon with Spencer Torkelson right behind him. And, and that's just going to anchor this for, you know, six, seven years, hopefully longer. We haven't even talked about Riley Green's bat speed, which is just yeah. absolutely elite too, yeah. right? Like it just, there's a lot of, yeah. of, there's just a lot of things that Riley Green can do on a baseball field that a 20 year old or a 25 year old or just any human being should not be able to do on a baseball field. I think you can go and Riley Green like, is like the spring camp in 20, you know, <laughs> spring camp in 2020, Riley Green was the star of spring training with 150 pro at bats under his belt at that point. I mean, he was hitting homers. He was diving all over the place, making catches. He was taking on like good pitchers who were, you know, just still just getting loose, loosened up in spring camp, but driving the ball all over the park off major league pitchers. It was eye popping. And he just tends to do that. Almost anytime you see Riley Green in a, in a key spot or in a key at bat in a game, he stands out to you. Um, you know, he just, he just looks yeah. better than everybody else on the field. I got one warning that Riley Green was about to explode during that second spring training. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, I was talking to somebody, um, you know, who's, who was there on the, at the alternate site uh, where the spring training was happening. And he goes, it was after the first day. So he goes, um, so we did a zoom call with Riley Green oh. and you should see the size of his neck. He is not a high school player anymore. No, and I'm like, Oh God, this is about to happen. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And he's probably still got a little more, you know, he's not, not a huge guy, but he did, he definitely filled out and got real thick and strong looking uh, without losing any speed over the past, you know, year and a half. So right. yeah. 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 He's, a, he's a man, he's a man sized yeah. lad these days. And, and Spencer Torkelson's coming in as this product who's like so close to finished, right? Like he was the first overall pick. This was not a bad pick. This was not the wrong pick. He was the first overall pick. It's just a matter of there's, there's Riley Green has every chance to be, I think more consistent hit for a higher average. And even if Riley green strikes out 25% of the time, I just think that his hands will allow him to have the quality of contact yeah. to be such a productive major league baseball player. Yeah. I mean, I, I was at most of the, um, of the Seawolf or the mud hens last six games. They were playing the saints and Riley green just hits line drives. Like it was just line drives everywhere, you know, solid contact all the time. Um, you know, in a way that even Torkelson doesn't necessarily do. I mean, when Torkelson lights into one, yeah, it's a little bit more impressive than when Riley lights into one, but not by, not by enough to, to, you know, to worry about, you know, I mean, Riley Green could hit 40 home runs a year. Um, you know, that wouldn't, it wouldn't be shocking. No one's going to project that, but, uh, but that's the other part of it is with that bat, you just, it's the ceiling that's, that's left there is very intriguing. It's hard to tell how high he could go, but there doesn't seem to be too much of a limit. Whereas with Spencer Torkelson, you know, I don't, I don't imagine Spencer Torkelson is going to get a lot better. He's, you know, he's going to learn the pitching in the league. You know, he's going to be more patient. He's going to settle in and he's going to do plenty of damage, but you know, but there isn't that, um, you know, that whole nother level that seems to be, you know, seems to be there at times with Riley, where if he can unlock the whole thing, like all of a sudden you've got, you know, maybe you've got a 70 hitter with, you know, with 60 power. Yeah. It's not impossible. Sure. Sure. Yeah. And, and you know, the, the, when I'm, when I talked about him being able to drive a ball that was at his ankles, that swing that I'm always thinking of that is uh, in the article, if you want to look it up on bless you boys, uh, he hit a triple on that mm-hmm. and he loves gaps and yeah. we're about to drop this man in Comerica, Comerica park. park. Yep. <laughs> yep. They're going to be some triples. Yeah. Riley's going to be doing some running out there. He's going to, he's going to need some conditioning, get this yeah. man some conditioning because he's going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. He's got to stay lean. Cause yeah, he's uh, that's what we'd expect, you know, as, as line drives, you know, from, from tape to tape and either, either side of the wall, um, that right center field gap, 
is going to look very, very good to him. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a very <laughs> exciting time, very exciting time to have those two, those two boys coming. Um, do you have any projection for yourself as to like, do you expect to see either one of them make it out of camp? Um, I, I've, I've talked about this so much. I, it's really I tough. Yeah. Yeah. I, don't uh, I do not expect either of them to make it out of camp, but that's just because the Tigers aren't in a hurry. If they were in a hurry, sure. Yeah. Put, drop them both in for all I, I care. But I think both of them could still probably use some extra time Yeah. in AAA. And I don't think, I think the Tigers are now at a point where the front office is smart enough to just not say, okay, you're not ready. Have fun. They're going to be like, okay, you know, here's what you're looking forward to. This is what we want you to work on. And yeah. this isn't necessarily, we don't even know what the rules are going to look like, but this isn't necessarily right. even a service time thing. This is just a, they really could, I mean, if they're up by the all-star break, that'd probably feel right to me. Mm. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, maybe Torkelson a little earlier again, just because Torkelson right now is probably more advanced and ready for more advanced pitching than Riley Green is. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I still don't know that we see them up as early as people are going to want them. Um, and knowing the Tigers, what they're going to do is just hold a press conference and say, okay, we're getting Ryan Kreidler, Spencer <laughs> Torkelson, and Riley Green all on the same day. Right, right. One of them's probably going to pitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I disagree a little bit. I, I expect to see them both in May. I, I do think, you know, there's good yeah. reason to keep them down, but I, but I still think the service time thing is, is liable to still be in play to some degree, and that is probably going to dictate – how long it takes. Um, you know, both of them could still use a little bit of seasoning. Brandon, with and that, both of I them mean, could I, use some time, but I, I really think of the two of them, I actually think Spencer Torkelson's defense might, might be the thing that, that actually keeps him back. Like I could still, still see the Tigers wanting to see him picking balls better and just being like rock solid, you know, to whatever degree he can get there before they move him up. Um, whereas with Riley, like I, I you know, I think he, right now you could pretty much drop Riley in wherever and he's going to adapt um, and, and overcome pretty quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I'd like to think, I'd like to think that both of them could make it out of camp, but I don't think that the Tigers are going to do that. I, you know, they haven't really signing Eduardo Rodriguez and, and Javier Baez and trading for Tucker Barnhart is a sign that we're going for it, but we're not going all the way. You know, we're, we're, you know, we're going to provide the foundation here. And if the kids take it the rest of the way, great. Maybe we'll make a deal at the, the deadline to add something. Um, but yeah, but for now we're not, we're not in all in type territory quite yet. We, which if we were, you would probably see the two of them right up. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, and, you know, and, I mean, we're, we're kind of saying the same thing for slightly different reasons, but. Yeah. Well, and bring it full circle. Um, our whole conversation, think about where this, this, these new um, front office people and these new uh, player development people think about where they're from. They're from the Dodgers. The Dodgers are so good at stringing along their prospects in the best way possible. So uh, it's frustrating when you, you know, you watch the slow rollout of Dustin May and the slow rollout of Gavin Lux. That's been like six years in the making somehow. Right. But uh, you think about that, those guys are with Detroit now. So I don't know that they're going to see where the Tigers are at and say we're in a hurry to get these guys up. I think that they truly are going to feel like they can wait until the two are ready. And that's kind of where my head's at. That's the last missing piece of, of what I was saying is that let's think about where the new player development guys are from and kind of yeah. understand that they're going to make the best decision for the organization, which ultimately is the best decision for the player, even yeah. if it kind of sucks for the fans. Right. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the other thing about that, though, of course, is that the Dodgers are absolutely stacked at all times at the major league level. There's, there's never like a big need 
Um, and that allows them to sort of feed these guys in, use their options, um, control their service time even longer than, than just getting the free year by, you know, like, okay, we're going to, we're going to use this guy for two months. And then, you know, um, when he's hot, they're really good at, at picking when their prospects are hot, getting them up there to get exposure when they're feeling their, their hundred percent best. And then as soon as it, you know, the struggles start to come in, it's like, okay, well, you need to work on that Bam, You're going back down. And now we've got another year, um, you know, and, and they're able to do that in a way that the, that the Tigers aren't. I expect when, when the Tigers make the call, um, you know, they're pretty much up, up for good unless it goes really badly. So, you know, there's a little, little bit difference in terms of just where the organizations are at there, but yeah, the, the philosophy from the development staff, I would assume will be pretty similar. Yeah. Well, the, the Tigers version of having a stacked roster that you can slow roll people is the fact that they're just not competing quite yet. I yeah. think so. You know, that's, yeah. that's kind of where they can sit there and be like, okay, well, we don't need you yet. It's not because there's not a spot for you. It's just because right. we want to see, you know, whoever play first base nowadays, we just want you to. Right. Just, you know, just don't end up in that situation where I was we going to say Renato Nunez, but he's not with the organization. Right. Right. But just don't get us in that situation where we lose the division by a game and you kept Spencer Torkelson and Riley Green down until, uh, until July. Yeah. Cause no one's going to be happy about that. Um, you know, and it, and it probably does right, also sure. play into, you know, them wanting to work with or Isaac Paredes and, and maybe even give Kreidler a look, um, you know, kind of Daz Cameron, like Victor Reyes, like if they're bringing all those guys along, I expect there's going to be some kind of tryout over the first yeah. month or two. You know what? You're going to know the in. Tigers are competing when they actually go. bring in an outfielder. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, that's another thing about <laughs> yeah. Riley Green oh, is gosh. that if, if they weren't going to start Riley Green, you would think they would go get an outfielder right now, you know, a left-handed hitting you know, outfielder that they could kind of mix in there somewhere or a left-handed utility hitter, you know, like basically like Nico Goodrum, if he could hit as a left-hander, that's what I need right now. If I could find a player like that, it would help. <laughs> that's hard. But to right find. now they're right now. You're just sliding off of, you know, uh, look at Akil Badu and we have Robbie Grossman who's fine and we have green coming, but yeah, at the end of the day, I think you just have four, uh, uh, just a cacophony of fourth outfielders. Yeah, yeah, there are there are plenty of them, and I, we don't have another first baseman either. So we'll see if they, maybe they'll do that. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, basically, we, we, we tend to agree about Riley and, and Spencer. Um, Maybe the one fly in the – or not fly in the ointment, but the one thing that could change things is if either one of them has a huge camp and A.J. Hinch really, really wants one of them. Um, but we'll just have to wait and see if either one of them absolutely mashes all the way through camp, maybe that changes the equation, but otherwise, yeah, probably don't expect to see either one until at least like, you know, sometime around Memorial day, probably. Um, let's talk about Dylan Dingler because I think, you know, he was one of the more interesting prospects to pop up this year. We, we liked him. I'm sure you liked him when he, when he was drafted as well. Um, really had a, like a Jekyll and Hyde kind of a season, like looked really good. I think defensively, um, you know, like the, the measurables in terms of pop time and his arm all look really good, pretty soft hands, um, needs, needs work blocking a little bit, you know, obviously needs some refinement on those things. But I think, you know, with Dylan Dingler, the thing I keep in mind is that he was a catcher who, you know, came out of the big 10, 
you know, very quickly was dropped right at the double A level. And there's just so much for a catcher to learn and so much of a, of a change in workload this year that I'm not going to lean on him much about, you know, how, how things went at the double A level. Um, how are you feeling about him at this point? You know what? I, uh, I'll just be completely honest. I was upset then when they made that pick. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I wanted Daniel Cabrera. Oh, interesting. Little did I know, interesting. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, no, I, uh, that's all right. That's all right Cause Taylor. I, I'm sorry, but I flirted with Austin Martin over Torkelson. So you're, you're in good company. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was far worse um, far worse no, flirting I, in my opinion <laughs> oh man oh, i just i thought daniel cobra was gonna be like quick to the majors i guess hit tools there anyway he's still in high a but um dingler i um i was really impressed not because i didn't expect him to be good i mean i didn't know too much about him but you can't get that high on multiple draft boards and not be a good baseball player what dylan dingler represents to me um, finally a catcher to be excited about as a starter. <laughs> I mean, whatever yeah. you thought about Jake Rogers, sure. But when you look at the catchers that have been there, I mean, Cooper Johnson and uh, just a, a myriad of others, you're just looking, okay, well, Tiger's got another backup catcher. It made, uh, it made uh, you know, Keenan happy, Tiger's minor league report happy, but uh, yeah, or Sam, minor league Sam, tracker happy. Yeah, but. Sam McMillan and Elizier Alfonso haven't haven't quite made right. it happy. Yeah, right. And and you know even Rothenberg's probably a backup catcher profile. I still like him a lot. I like him more than any of the other backup catcher profiles that the Tigers have. But you look at Dingler, and all of a sudden he just symbolizes maybe a, a homegrown starting catcher. Yeah, which is just really cool to have, if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not easy to come by necessarily. And, you know, there, there are certainly question marks about his bat. Um, you know, he can be gotten at the top of the zone. He's got that, you know, he's got a lot of loft in his swing, kind of a narrow stance tends to tends to tilt back. He's sort of like a, like a, an upgraded Jake Rogers to me in certain ways. Like he's not, you know, maybe not quite the defensive catcher that Jake Rogers is, but um but then again, we might also see with the automated pitch zone coming to AAA this year, we don't know how much longer receiving is going to be, you know, the, the crucial factor that, it, that it's been the last, you know, six or seven years. Um, yeah, I mean, as a, as a hitter, you know, they're similar. It's just that Dingler has better hands, um, you know, and is more likely to, to make contact on pitches where he was initially a little fooled, um, better able to fight off some pitches. Um, Jake Rogers is extremely grooved, just, you know, just uppercut, you know, swinging for the fences. And that's all you're all you're ever going to get out of him there. Um, Dingler's got a lot more contact ability, you know, uses the whole field a lot better, um, you know, ha- has his vulnerabilities. But again, he's also, you know, a guy who was really thrust in a, a little bit over his head, I think, as far as like the workload and the preparation required for a catcher. And I'm, I'm very willing to give him a good chunk of time next year before I really start to sort of calcify in my opinion about his bat. But, you know, um, it, it still feels like there's more time needed. Yeah, sure. And and just think about it this way, uh, where Spencer Torkelson's likely to end up first base, that puts pressure on his bat where Dylan Dingler plays. That takes pressure off wow. his bat, right? Yep. I mean, if, if Spencer Torkelson hits 250 with, with 15 home runs, we're going to be really upset. And part <laughs> of that is where he got drafted. If Dylan Dingler hits 250 with 15 home runs, we're going to be like, yes, we yeah, got one a of the better catcher. catchers out there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like we're all set. Just give him a couple more years to get his man strength and he'll turn into Sal Perez. 
Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, but, but that's, is, is the bat matters. Obviously you're not going to be able to play in a major league lineup. If you're, if your bat doesn't perform, mm-hmm. but where he's at, the bat is not as important. I don't think as of right now, automated yeah. strikes don't changes literally everything, but as of right now, I mean, if he can be a good defensive catcher and he can hit better than the average catcher, I mean, that's, that's awesome. That's a phenomenal pick by the Tigers. Yep. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I've seen some people saying, you know, putting average raw power on him, which is, I mean, maybe accurate, but if I remember right, I've seen him touch 111, which is more of like above average territory. Um, you know, he's got a little bit of a long swing, you know, he's got that sort of high setup, high hands, um, you know, swings down and then, you know, has a little bit of like an Ian Kinsler, like, you know, dropping the right shoulder and flying open a little bit. But when I look at him, you know, he's athletic enough and has good enough hands where I keep thinking they can probably smooth out the bat path there for him a little bit, um, make a little bit more solid contact rather than the sort of parade of high fly balls and, um, and you know, sort of choppers that, that he was hitting when he was getting a little bit overwhelmed with Erie this, this summer. Um, it's, it is correctable. There are certain, there, there's a, a lot of things in baseball that you can't teach. Yeah. And a lot of that has to do with the hands, the hand-eye coordination, the feel for barrel. Uh, I mean, even to an extent, I think feel for zone in terms of both taking pitches and, and being recognition to, too. Yeah. Right. Like some things just come more naturally. Um, but when you talk about certain parts of the, of the setup, it, it can be adjusted um, I'm going to go outside the Tigers organization again, because the biggest example for me um, in terms of, of something changing and it exploding is Joey Weimer from the Brewers. Oh, yeah. um, Weimer had this, he came out of the draft with this massive leg kick. Like it was huge. And the Brewers said, maybe don't go the toe <laughs> tap. And he did. And all of a sudden he he's, his stock has exploded up. Like his huge power is playing really well. And it's obviously not the same thing with, with Dingler, but you can, almost change you know tweak something in his setup you can move his hands down you can you know try to spread his feet out something that will keep him on the ball longer that can keep his shoulder closed you know um there's uh, there's there's some tweak there that'll at least help it enough i don't know maybe it never gets truly fixed and maybe i'm completely wrong and don't know what i'm talking about but you have to believe that when it comes to finding getting into position um, with your shoulder closed or having it fly open. There's got to be something there that'll let him see, you know, see the ball a little bit better or, yeah. you know, slow up his mechanics just enough to where he stays closed. Um, but again, that's really hard to do, right? Cause the, um, some of the massive power guys that have come out of this draft, like, like Brady house, this most recent draft, like Brady house, they keep that shoulder closed so long that if you slow it down, they're, their belt buckle is pretty much facing the pitcher by the time their hand starts to go. Yeah. And that is elite level type of separation. Yeah. Um, um, Ta- Fernando Tatis does that too. Yeah. So it's, that's almost an acquired skill too, but you can definitely, I think, tweak it to keep the shoulder closed a little longer as the long winded answer to your question. Yeah. I mean, I think of, um, you know, Ryan Kreidler went to, um, who, we're probably not going to talk a whole ton about Kreidler. I mean, we'll, we'll just kind of have to see how, how it goes. I mean, if he can handle, right-handed pitching a little bit better. I think the Tigers have like a really nice like backup there. Um, he's a bit of a lefty masher, um, kind of a similar guy or, well, or, or maybe coming from opposite ends and ending up similar to Dingler in that he used to crouch more, you know, didn't stride very much and, you know, kind of had low hands and was sort of like a very like, you know, line drive swing, no power. Like everyone thought he could hit, you know, and hit for average. But, you know, that he was one who kind of did the opposite. Like he went to Doug Lada and learned to get a little bit more loft in his swing. Maybe he did it, you know, 
maybe a little bit too, you know, too much, um, you know, but basically like changed his setup to be much more upright and hit a bunch of dingers as a result and, you know, boosted his way all, all the way up the uh, prospect rankings. Whereas Dingler almost feels like he needs to do a little bit the reverse. Like he needs to come back a little bit more to, to Kreidler <laughs> and vice versa. And, you know, of course there's way more to it. This is very, very just elemental kind of discussion of bat path, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I at least have some hope that they can work on that a little bit with Dingler as a result, if Kreidler could make the adjustments he could make, why not? I, my favorite thing about Kreidler, and I can't not laugh when I think about it, is the f- faction of Tigers Twitter who wanted Kreidler to be the shortstop in Detroit and is now also upset about Javi Baez. Like, they're yeah. offensively, like, it's the same profile. Like, Javi will hit more home runs and they'll strike out probably the same amount of times if you give them both a full season. Like, yeah. Just, yeah, you're just, just getting, like, you're getting double plus power and better defense, you know? <laughs> it's all right. Diff- Different players, but like, like offensive profile, just pure stats wise, like it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it really isn't that much <laughs> different. Yep. Um, all right, Jackson Job. I mean, from my perspective, Jackson Job is almost almost entirely just a matter of physical development. Like, you know, if Jackson Job builds up his innings count and doesn't get hurt, he's gonna have at least 50 commands. He's already got an above average fastball, double plus slider. You know, the changeup should come along as well um, with that athleticism. He's got a quick, quick arm. He's loose. The mechanics are good. He's still got some projection left on him, which is, um, you know, different when I think back of like Tiger's, you know, first round prep pitcher draft picks, you know, Manning was way more raw, um, both in terms of mechanics, um, couldn't spin the wall, spin the ball the way um, that Job does. And, you know, and Bo Burrows. We didn't hundred percent know this at the time, but was basically just already maxed out. Like, you know, he was just a guy who didn't really progress much in terms of his physical development, velocity, um, command or anything else. Job sort of is like the best of, of both worlds where to me, the only thing that's really going to stop Jackson Job is injury. Um, you know, he, he's just a guy who just sort of has to prove he can build up the innings count and improve his command a little bit. And bam, you're going to have a good pitcher and maybe, maybe a great one. Uh, Jackson Job is a data monster. Yeah. Um, a, a spin monster, to be more specific. His slider's got 3,000 plus RPM, which is absolutely insane. Yeah. Um, and he's 18 or was 18. He might be 19 now, but, you know, draft cycle, he's 18. Yeah. Um, and his fastball, I haven't seen the data in a long time, but I, I mean, I've heard people say only good things in terms of, of data wise what his fastball looks like he was 20, um, it was he was 2500 rpms too i know he's been measured there yeah. before so yeah yeah right so, um, and you know it was kind of surprising when the tigers started to go scout him right up close to the draft because people were thinking you know marcelo mayor marcelo mayor marcelo mayor it has to be marcelo mayor yeah <laughs> oh, right yeah and then they go all of a sudden alavila's out watching this high school kid from florida jackson job yeah. it turns out this I think was a phenomenal pick because, you know, mayor um, would have cost a little bit more, I think. Uh, yeah. And even you look at what he paid to the, or what the Red Sox paid him. It probably was higher for Detroit. Um, you never know. Like these, these teams have meetings with these players and some of these players can try to price themselves out of certain situations. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I'm not insinuating at all. That's what Marcelo mayor was doing. I don't know. Obviously what happened in that meeting, I don't know what his number was, but the tigers got the number from Job. They liked the number from Job and said, great, like, this is our dude. And I absolutely love it. Right. It fits with what they're trying to do with the spin rates, with the, the, you know, mm-hmm. behind the scenes data stuff. Like it's, it might be a slow roll. I know the bust rate on prep pitchers isn't uh, favorable, but Job is, is a lot of fun. I think it was a great pick. And, and like you said, it allowed them to get 
a solid pitcher that you can depend on, like Ty Madden, which was an awesome move. Mm-hmm. And then it allowed you to get another bat that you can kind of dream on, like Isaac Pacheco, who I am well, I'm I'm pretty close to being all in on. I hated the pick. I was like, what are they doing? Why in the <laughs> world? I've started like digging in and in. Um, and I love Isaac Pacheco now. Okay. Oh, good, good, good. Cause I, yeah, I mean, Pacheco is the one who I, I'm a lot better with pitching in general. Like that, that's where I'm, I'm more comfortable. I don't really know what to, what to say about Isaac Pacheco as far as like his, his potential to get to all that power, but, but the power is there. Um, and when you get a good teenage, you know, we get a good teenage bat um, in the second round right there. I, you know, I'm never going to go back and scream about the Parker Meadows pick because the tools were enormous and you were getting a prep, you know, prep player with, you know, with pedigree, if you care about pedigree. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't really know, but I like the, I, I just like getting that much upside at that level, like to get that much upside after already landing two of my favorite pitching prospects in the draft. Um, in, you know, and I, and I really love Job as well. I, I think that's, that I've made that fairly clear. Like Jackson Job is a lot more comparable to getting Justin Verlander than Casey Mize ever was. If people want to go nuts and dream about Jackson Job being the next Justin Verlander, it makes more sense because he's at least of the, of the right type, you know, he's, he's a, a high velocity, high spin guy. Um, you know, Verlander is just an animal and just a, just a, you know, complete unicorn yeah. type, type of pitcher. So don't, don't quote me on that and go insane but um but yeah you know like it didn't make sense to compare Casey Mize with with Justin Verlander in any way like Jackson Grove is a lot more that style power pitcher where you might get you know like a huge strikeout artist who uh you know who dominates for for a long time to come yeah gonna be fun to see him actually pitch professionally uh in the upcoming year and um with what do you expect Pacheco okay no yeah go ahead do do the Pacheco Oh, oh with Pacheco um what's different about him um, there's a lot of ways to get to power. Most of his power just comes from the fact that he's an absolute monster of a human being. Yeah. He's what, 18, 19, and it's like 6'4, 235. Yep. Like it's, I mean, he's a monster. Um, and, and he uses it well. He can get to the power. If I, uh, I've been told his blast numbers were really good down at the complex. I don't, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen it myself, but um, that should come as no surprise. Obviously, blast numbers from a guy with huge raw power. But what he does that's uh, almost unique and gives me a lot of hope is his swing um, is really conducive to kind of what we were talking, one of those aspects we were talking about with Riley Green, and that is when he recognizes spin, he can keep his hands back really well and sit on it and still crush it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And from a guy who's from an, a power bat out of high school, that is just not something that happens. Power bats out of high school can hit for power and do nothing else. Yeah. He can actually sit back and, and have an approach, which is – Awesome. So I'm kind of excited about Pacheco just because of that specifically. I feel like there's a lot there to to build with more so than maybe a guy like Roberto Campos, whose swing is a little all over the place. Yeah. But he has more raw power than Pacheco does. Yeah. Or at least, yeah. Or well, or at least comparable, maybe. I don't know. I'm not sure. I've, I've, I've heard like really varying reports on Campos and, we, and we're probably not going to talk about Campos or Christian Santana too much because we haven't really seen him. You know, it's all sort of conjecture at this point. Um, both of them, both of them are very interesting players and um, hopefully we'll get a chance to see them, you know, to, to some degree next year, or at least get some, some more accurate reviews from Lakeland. It'd be real nice if the Florida state league would finally put some damn cameras in there. <laughs> Drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know. It's always know. just, it's always just shards of information, you know, coming out from certain teams who actually have track man and 
Hawkeye. Yeah, no, you, you just have to hope that the guy you want to see is playing in Bradenton yeah. at that particular moment. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it is. It's Bradenton. I, you know, even the tarpons. Yeah. I thought the tarpons used to have a camera, and I think they took it away, if I'm not mistaken. They did. I, I remember watching Roni Garcia on the tarpons camera mm-hmm. when the Tigers took him. I'm like, this is awesome. And now it's not there anymore. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What's up with that? M-I-L-B TV. <laughs> Get back to it. Um, so... Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Olsen, again, like, it's just a ma- matter of how much his command comes along, really. Um, Wentz, to me, is, like, sort of a dedicated, like, six, six starter guy. Like, I'm not sure I see enough there to think he ever, like, cracks got for the Wentz rotation just... on a good team. But, uh, but you know, he's around there. Paint I just, the picture. Yeah. Yeah, I like, just always paint thought. Paint the picture. Of, of Joey You're hoping. Yeah, of Joey Wentz. Paint the picture for me, and I've thought this for years. At the absolute top, and I'm sorry to keep cutting you off. I don't mean no, to I just no, please start do. talking. At the absolute top of his ceiling, like if he everything clicks for him and he is the best player he can be, I think you are hoping for Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, I think that's that's kind of it. I mean, it's and Dallas Keuchel has a cyan. I'm not scoffing. Like, <laughs> no, Dallas no, Keuchel. no. Like, and and the odds yeah. that that Joey Wentz is going to have that kind of command is is probably impossible. Um, he right. does have a more that's, he, he does have an interesting fastball compared to you know to compared to someone like Keuchel. Um, you know, it's got some weird cut. It has like a little bit of like seam shifted wake looking characteristics to me, which I don't know for sure because like we haven't got his his spin angle data or anything like that. But um, but it sort of has that weird like cutterish drop at the end that Manning um also sometimes has, um, which allows their fastballs to play up and not get beat out of the park when they when they miss. Um, even if they don't miss as many bats, maybe as, as some would like um, Spencer Turnbull, of course, being one of the prime yeah, examples so, of that. Um, so, you know, I mean, Wentz, um, I, I just think that I, I would have liked Wentz is a, a high spin fastball guy. Really good IVB. I think his fastball actually is really good, efficient spin on it. According it? To, okay. Um, and, and, and nothing else. I mean, he has average spin on the breakers. Nothing else really stands out a ton, but the fastball is actually fairly decent for especially consider. i mean it's not an have great velocity but everything else on it's pretty decent yeah i think we always just hope that you know i mean he's six four um 230 pounds or something you always kind of hope that uh yeah that joey wentz would find a little bit more velo but um i don't know second year back from from tommy john this year um so basically whatever he is this year is pretty much who he is and you know we'll we'll, we'll take it and go from there um he should still at least you know provide some depth um at some point along the way and then, yeah, there's this sort of pack of, of guys like Pacheco, Keith, um, Workman. Workman's the, probably the, the, the least as far as a uh, hit tool goes there, but, um, but maybe has the best chance to be kind of a utility man because he's a good defender. He does have a lot of power. Um, the, left, the bat from the left side is not bad. Um, the bat from the right side is atrocious um, still. And as you wrote in your, you know, can we, can we Cedric Mullins? someone here and, and get rid of someone's switch hitting. Um, I, I would, I would bank on workman potentially being that guy uh, if, if anybody is. So, uh, and then, yeah, we talked about Brisky. We talked about Campos and Smith a good bit, but uh, Wilmer Flores, um, we mentioned him earlier. Wilmer Flores is a big baseball hucking son of a gun um, with a, again, outstanding metrics, um, like a weird cutter, like a high spin fastball, high spin breaking ball, uh, a curveball that really, like the reason I even knew who Wilmer Flores was, was somewhere in like May or June. I looked, I was just looking through guys' strikeout rates and was like, who the hell is Wilmer Flores? I've never heard of this guy before. Started paying him a lot more attention, you know, love the size, love the stuff and the velocity. Um, he's a little rickety um, in his delivery, which is not exactly a scouting term, but it's one I like to use 
for a guy who, you know, who posts up really hard on, on his, on his landing leg and sometimes like doesn't have great balance as a result. Like he sort of, he just sort of slams a little hard for me um, and, and isn't real smooth into his front front side, but um, and, and that'll probably lead some people to project that he's going to remain more of a relief prospect. But for right now, I mean, to get him where they got him, um, there, there's just a lot there. I mean, if the Tigers decided to push him quickly as a reliever, he could get there pretty fast. I think the stuff is already there. Fangraphs has him as a reliever. Um, uh, I think a couple other places probably do too. I can tell you that prospects live, uh, unless my report gets changed quite a bit, will not have him as a reliever. Mm-hmm. Um, he, uh, he, it's like, as you mentioned, his, his delivery is not that fluid. It's high effort. Um, and he has a considerable amount of head whack, which, um, to try to describe that, if you see the pitchers after they throw the ball, their head kind of makes a jerking motion and their hat falls off. Yeah. That's head whack. Yeah. So he's kind of got some of that on the back end, which is, is not ideal. Think um, a little bit, but he think, has think, think early buck farmer out there. If you're, if you're thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he's got this massive, massive, beautiful curveball that will just drop off the table, fall from the sky, whatever you want it to be. Like, it is a gorgeous curveball. He got a a stupid amount of whiffs on it um, when he threw it. It's got high spin. It's got good movement. His fastball is also an above-average spin pitch. Now, unlike a lot of the other arms that we've talked about when I talk about the high spin, spin, he does not have – the IVB that the other ones do. He's actually got a lower IVB, which is not great, but that is because he's going to be more of a low in the zone. It has arm side run type fastball than a, it rides through the zone type fastball, which is not bad. It's just a little different from some of the other fastballs that that we've talked about today. Um, But he's got really good spin. He's got really good raw ability as a pitcher. So um, if he can tap into having an above average fastball, having a, plus curveball like he already does his cutters pretty decent too it's also got above average spin and um his changeup uh has uh, above average velo separation off the fastball which is not everything but it's it's certainly very helpful yeah. um it's about eight on average about eight or so eight to ten miles an hour off the fastball at least in the in the looks that i've had where i've seen the the velocity on it um i mean to me if he can develop some of that command which was already really good. I mean, if you look at the numbers, like he, he didn't walk too many guys. He throws he's a just lot kind of, of leaving. Yeah. Them. yeah. But he's not throwing good strikes. And that's kind of yeah. what I'm talking about command. Um, I, I just, I think you have a starter there um, at least in terms of upside. Maybe he is a reliever who's just fastball curveball because his fastball, if, if we haven't mentioned his fastball gets up there. I mean, he throws it. Um, I think his, his max is, somewhere above 98 but i mean barely you're talking like 98 and a half or something like that but it's, yeah. it's up there in the upper 90s and um that is yeah he could fall back into a rotation or into a bullpen spot but i really think that the tigers have a solid he has the fastball cutter it's a two-seam cutter type situation with a, a solid curveball and if his change up anything decent he fills up the zone i mean you have a starter there, I think. And um, I'm really, really high on this guy right now. Yeah. I'm pretty excited as well. And I definitely wouldn't, wouldn't have any, any thought of, of turning him into a reliever anytime soon. I mean, you've got to, you've got to try it. I mean, I, the other thing about him is 
um, based on these comments, you might get the idea that, he, that he's not particularly athletic looking or, or he's skinny or, you know, kind of, kind of something along those. Wilmer Flores is a big, big man with, you know, with long levers, um, big hands. He's a big, powerful individual. And it is like a high effort delivery. He does pull off um, with his head, as Trevor mentioned. Um, but, but he is a, a big sizable athlete. I mean, he's not a bad athlete. He's not like a bad body type or any, anything of the sort. Um, so six, four, I mean, 225. Yeah. I mean, and he looks rock solid. Um, I, I was really surprised, you know, when I first like got a look at his delivery, I was like, well, oh. I mean, he kind of looks like a, like a, a, a less athletic and here we go. I'm going to throw him out there again, Tyler glass now in, in terms of the way of, <laughs> of, of how his delivery actually works. He just doesn't have that smooth athleticism that, uh, that someone like Tyler glass now has, you know, it's, it's much more of like a slam the front foot and just, and just huck that sucker um, kind of, kind of an, an approach, but yeah, I mean, he's got, you know, three to four pitches already um, that are all above average to plus and, yeah, I mean, you don't want to give up on a guy like that. I mean, he wasn't spotting his fastball. And I think, you know, that probably that's what it's going to all come down to. If he can spot his fastball with average or better command, the rest of it is good enough to be around the zone and and miss bats and get weak contact and possibly make him a mid-rotation starter just on that alone. Um, and he's only, what, 20? Yeah, he's only, well, he's about to turn yeah. 21 in a couple of days, folks. Be ready for Wilmer Flora's birthday yeah. on the, uh, the 20th of February. <laughs> and you know what he's got bloodlines um that's right his brother is currently wilmer flores the second baseman for the giants yeah unfortunately most famously known for for crying when he thought he'd been traded um while playing shortstop in in the middle of a game when he actually wasn't traded um but that was like that commitment to your team so <laughs> yeah. hopefully his br- little brother has heart. that too yeah it's all hard you know <laughs> and the, and of course um you know wilmer flores is also venezuelan um which you know, I mean, there isn't a shortstop in Venezuela that the Tigers aren't following around in a car at this point. Um, so, yeah, based on based on what they collected in the in the last international free agent period here a few days ago, or not the period, but the signing day. Um, anybody else? I mean, that you really want to get into? Do you? I mean, do you have any thoughts on Alex Fayeto coming back, or is it pretty much like, yeah, well, let's have to see, see kind of what he's got and, and go from there? Had you given up on him as a starter? Yeah, I, I see a middle reliever. Um, I, I I know he was doing better. I'm ready to be proven wrong. I, I want the best for Alex Fayetto, but I'm still kind of, if he comes back and is, is doing what he was before, maybe he could be a starter. I'm still kind of on the, he's a he's a middle reliever type and and yeah, stick in there for now. Yeah, he's got a decent uh, change up, but, um, but it's pretty much like the fastball and, and the slider. And he knows, needs to throw a lot of sliders because the fastball just has, just, just the, the shape, it just happens to be pretty vulnerable to getting uh, pounded into oblivion. And, you know, he fixed his mechanics, you know, and, and became much more like upright and kind of got rid of that sort of hunched over, um, you know, lead leg blocking type of move he had when he came out of college. Um, he improved that, you know, I thought in 2019, he did look better. He got leaner too. Um, and he's also, you know, been a few years removed from those knee surgeries. So I was still like feeling some optimism until he blew out his elbow. And now it's sort of like, well, you know, he's 26 now. And unless, um, unless he comes back and stuff is really popping. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we can pretty much put him in the reliever bin. Uh, we'll see what it looks like, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of him that way as well. Daniel Cabrera. I mean, were you, were you put, you, you obviously liked him. I liked him where we got him. I didn't, I don't, didn't necessarily want him there. Uh, I really, you know, who I wanted was um, Anthony Servideo instead of Trey Cruz. And I'm going to be interested to see how that one plays out. Cause I really like Anthony Servideo. He's the type of dude who would irritate a lot of people. Cause he's a, uh, He's got the got the swag on the field a little bit, but um, but a player that I was interested in. But yeah, Daniel Cabrera, you know, kind of supposed to be that jack of all trades, like average at all of them type guy. Struggled a little bit at high A, 
How do you feel? <laughs> um, I, I feel the same. I think um, mm-hmm. I think he showed it enough to where I don't know that much has changed for me personally. It just didn't happen right away, but it also didn't happen right away for Spencer Torkelson. I mean, you're going from LSU to pro ball. It's it's still kind of a jump because you don't have a lot of those college guys will get the introduction of rookie level complex low A, which is comparable to what they were seeing. Um, Daniel Cabrera just got thrown into high A, which is a little bit better than the SEC pitching he was facing kind of a year removed from playing in competition. I mean, there's nothing that's changed a whole lot there for me. He looked, Um, uh, he looked better later in the season too. I thought, which is what you look for. for. I mean, I I guess we could mention too. I I thought Dylan Diggler looked a lot better in September um, after being kind of a disaster in, you know, July and then getting injured in August, he actually did come back and looked a little better too, which gave me some, some positivity about the future. Um, Let's see. Parker Meadows. Trey Cruz is a name. Okay. With for who? Oh, I was going to, well, I was going to skip to uh, Parker Meadows, but yeah, let's, let's do Trey Cruz a little bit. Cause he was, um, you know, I, I think, you know, pretty comprehensively a disappointment this year, but there may be some reasons because of the shoulder. Yeah. I didn't realize until actually just a shout out to the fan graphs list. Um, yeah. when I was reading that, I didn't realize how much the shoulder stuff might've affected him. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of out. I'm like, all right, Trey Cruz, you know what? Let's just go four for five on that class and whatever. I'm not so much anymore. I, I mean, if, if that really is the case, I'm kind of just excited to see what happens with Trey Cruz. Yeah. Um, I, from the jump thought he was a second baseman, which is fine. I mean, yeah. Um, every team needs one. I just think that it, it, I just want to see the bat, you know, kind of come around. I think that maybe it will um, mm-hmm. if he comes back healthy. Yeah. I mean, he seems like a guy who can give you a lot of gritty sort of pain in the ass um, at bats and, just didn't drive the ball. Like when he, even when he made contact and, and hit line drives, he didn't hit the ball with the, um, the, the impact I was expecting. So yeah, maybe that's the shoulder. Um, so yeah, I mean, we'll just punt and see how that goes this year. Parker Meadows, have you given up yet? Or are you still kind of hanging in there yeah. because the levers are so damn long and maybe he just needs another year or two? <laughs> yeah. That's a I mean, look, it's, oh my goodness. Parker Meadows is I said, yes, I'm never going to give up. Um, and that's just in me where you have that athletic outfielder with the levers and the whatever that yeah. I just, I think they're going to turn around. Buddy Reed is still going to be a good major leaguer. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of where I'm at with Meadows still. It's like, I don't really have hope for it, but like, I just, I, I want it to happen so bad because yeah. when you get somebody like that and it all comes together, that is some of the most fun that you can have watching baseball. Yep. Yep. When it just all happens for him. Yep. Um, and I guess I think we can kick this to the new Tigers player development staff. Like if there's, you know, if we made a list of like guys who this year is sort of make or break, like, okay, you're going to get to work with a whole new, you know, set of coaches, um, development people this year, it's either going to happen now or it's never going to happen. Parker Meadows is probably at the top of that list. Um, anybody else you want to hit on before we roll? Um, yeah, I, I, we talked, you talked about him a little bit. Um, Eric De La Rosa was kind of a pop-up guy this year. Um, there were a bunch of those across the league. Obviously you take a year off guys are doing their own thing. Yeah. He's just really interesting. Um, I, I think yeah. that he's going to be an interesting case for this, this player development group, because I, I, I know he's contact first. I don't even think his contact is that good at this point. No, not um, really. He, he's really fast. He's got good defense. And what I'm going to be looking for is how they change his approach. Um, I wrote about this for um, visiting the video room and, and all this stuff, but he does what they call striding down. 
and it it really hinders your ability to, to hit because you're changing your eye line when you do that. So what happens is he mm -hmm. starts tall, and when he strides, he crouches, and then when he starts to swing, he comes back up. Like his eye level changes; it goes down and up as the pitch is coming in, and yeah. you're just not going to be able to hit velocity or anything like that. Yeah, um, too my, many other I moving mean, points. Personally, in head. <laughs> yeah. Personally, if my eye line were the same the whole time, I couldn't hit these pitches. It's just hard, right? So changing your eye line yeah. uh, is just – it's not conducive to him performing with the bat. And I want to see if they kind of can take out that striding down situation mm -hmm. um, and kind of keep his eye line. Because if they do, I think the, the fact that he's been performing, I think his hand-eye coordination is good enough where you could probably get average hit well below average power with speed and defense – um so what terrence gore i mean it's yeah. kind of what you're yep. you're almost looking at with him and he is a fair athletic specimen you know i mean uh, beyond yeah. the speed like he's not the kind of guy who who presents as being like you know like a skinny weak hitting type of guy he doesn't have you know he doesn't have big time power but i also kind of wonder like if if he if they could kind of work things out for him and get him on a little more stable platform to swing from if he wouldn't drive the ball to the, to the gaps, you know, a lot more often, um, maybe hit you like 10 home run type power and be a pretty nice fourth outfielder type guy. Could happen. Yeah, absolutely. It could happen. And, and that's kind of more so even than Parker Meadows. I think that's what I'm looking for to see if this, what this player development can do for hitting is finding the obvious ones, at least obvious to me, which could mean nothing. I mean, maybe, Maybe he strides up. I don't know. But right, right. when you're looking at him kind of striding down and, and, and seeing if they can level him out, I think that's going to be the biggest, um, I guess, examples or uh, I can't think of the word right now, but the biggest thing we like, can look at to see if this, if yeah. this you know, new development team is able to develop hitters a little bit better. Yeah, it's sort of like the most obvious point of, of weakness in his mechanics that, that could be changed without like, you know, spending a year in the cage. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm yeah. with you there. He's interesting. Um, you know, there's a few other guys like Garrett Hill and and Lipschitz. I kind of like is like maybe this guy will contribute as a as a backup um, for a little while. Um, they're they're like the kind of guys that that a manager kind of likes to have as their sort of 27th guy. Um, you know, Wenzel kind of fits into that, like because he has speed and can play a few positions. Like maybe he gets there. There's always that sort of like role. Um, evaluation like you know can this guy do something well enough to like give him the chance to, to be worth one or two war over a six-year career and some of those guys just fit in there um but i think yeah for now that, that's a that's a pretty good overview i think you know to me it's this year just comes down to that like the, the big story of this year is the fact that it's all new player development staff like i just am very interested to see if they can have a similar impact on these guys that the major league staff did on the, on their end um, in 2021, because if they do, you're going to see a lot of guys pop this, you know, the Tigers system is going to lot, look a lot more stacked sort of in that 40 to 50 range than maybe it does right now. There's a lot of, you know, low 40, 35 plus guys out there who have some potential. Um, so that's, that's what we're going to be looking for. Yeah. I'm really excited because when you get new um a new player development staff and they're looking at these players for the first time, there's going to be somebody who we never thought would pop. That's just going to pop up. I don't, you know, it could be a pitcher. It could be a hitter, yeah. but it's just going to be somebody who was off our radar that all of a sudden, like they're just perfect for this PD new PD people. And they're just going to be like, where did they come from? Yeah. Yeah. How did this happen? Yeah. And yeah. then, and then we'll go from there and see if, you know, if that affects the way the Tigers draft, you know, if, if there's a little bit more of a coherent strategy to player development, one would hope that would lend itself to a more coherent, 
strategy in the draft of picking guys that, you know, that these, this player development staff knows how to improve or has ideas for. Um, and that's what we're looking for is for that whole thing to come together because, you know, Chris Illich isn't going to spend $200 million um, on this team. I think that's pretty clear. You know, I think the payroll could well go up, you know, somewhere in the, the 150 million range, but for them to sustain success, like to get to the point of, of being a consistent playoff contender and then sustain it is going to take that. It's going to take this player development system and the drafting being, being better than we've seen. And I think, you know, the past couple of years have given us some, some positive signs that things are coming around and all these new hires hopefully will take it the rest of the way. And you know what the first insight that we might get on this is the rule five draft. When it happens, when the major league phase happens um, after the lockout, all of a sudden these, these, this player development staff, all the new people are going to have been able time to talk and they have extra time now to like, look at these players who's available and, and the type of player they go for could be a huge indicator of what, what's to come. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, the Tigers have definitely been the the guys playing for the big upside, like taking position players and, uh, and, and just crushed it. Like Victor Reyes and Akil Badu alone, is, is like a decade's worth of work in the rule five draft for anybody else. Um, I don't know. Maybe this is Alavila's wheelhouse. Alavila is the, <laughs> the rule five master, but yeah, you're right. They, that will be the rule five championship. <laughs> yep, exactly. It'll be interesting to see who they take there. All right. Uh, we're going to wrap it up. I want to thank Trevor for joining me. Um, we'll have him back on the podcast before too long. Please go read all the good stuff over at prospects live. They do great work over there and it's free unlike some other places. Um, so please check that out. Trevor. Thanks a lot for joining me, brother. We'll have a, uh, have a good night and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Bye-bye.